I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we read that, and we'll pay particular attention to what we find in Isaiah 42, the verses 1 through 4. And it's passages like ones that are, that is before us this morning that challenge us also in our listening skills, say a little more difficult than more familiar text to us. So it is good for us to listen carefully because this text also proclaims to us the wonderful gospel of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what we find here then. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. So far. After the sermon, we will sing Psalm 67, the stanzas 2 and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah 40 through 66 has been referred to as the book of comfort. And that's because this section of Scripture makes clear that even though the Lord will judge His people for their sins, He will not forget the relationship that He established with them. Writing in the 8th century before the coming of Christ, Isaiah witnessed the demise of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he is sent by God to Judah to let them know that they will go into exile too, just like the northern kingdom of Israel. And that will be as a punishment for sin, disobedience, godlessness, and because the people exchanged the glory of the invisible God for the worship of dead idols. Yet it is also clear in this section that the Lord remembers mercy in wrath. A remnant will return to the land of the inheritance. The Lord will deliver his people from their sins. The people of God will receive blessings from the hand of the Lord in spite of themselves. Now the message of hope and comfort is accompanied by the call to repent and to prepare the way for the Lord. The King is coming. And all obstacles that stand in the way of the advancement of His kingdom need to be removed out of the way. And one of the greatest obstacles that stands in the way of the coming of the King is this people's obsession with idols. And that is why Isaiah goes through great lengths to contrast the power of God with the worthlessness and the uselessness of idols. 
The Lord God in his creative power and redemptive acts is incomparably great. And so the Lord summons the nations from far and wide to a hearing to demonstrate to them that he alone is the living God. We find that in Isaiah 41. He's not at a distance, but he's in a relationship with his people. And while people foolishly choose gods for themselves, the Lord God, in contrast, chooses people for himself. It's in chapter 41, verse 5 through 9. The idolater goes to great lengths to have a craftsman produce his God. He labors with metals and soldering to make sure that it doesn't topple over as it is worshipped. Chapter 41, verse 17. But that's not the way it is with the Lord God. While the idol sits there, literally looking stupid, on its stand, the Lord takes his stand and he strengthens protects, upholds, and helps those he has chosen. Chapter 41, verses 10 through 16. Yes, let the people of God consider this. The idols cannot do anything good or bad. And if you are going to wait for one of your idols to help or save you, you will have to wait for a very long time because all their works amount to nothing. Chapter 41, verse 24. So the idols are meaningless, and they cannot deliver or provide comfort. But the living God is so different. He delivers a message of hope for desperate souls. He will send his servant, who will will liberate globally and eternally. He will do something. And it will be great and glorious. The servant of the Lord will establish his kingdom on righteousness and justice and equity. He will bring justice to the nations. And all of this will be worked through the living God who has compassion for lost sinners. And that takes us to the comforting message of Isaiah 42 which we will look at closer under the following theme. The comforting revelation concerning the coming of the servant of the Lord. And we'll look at two things. This comfort lies first in the unique task he is given to accomplish, and then second, the quiet manner in which it is accomplished. So the comforting revelation concerning the coming of the servant of the Lord. And this comfort lies in first the unique task that he is given to accomplish. The first word in this passage alerts us to the fact that we stand at the threshold of a very great passage and great message. Behold my servant. In other words, sit up and pay attention to this. The last part of chapter 41 ends with the same word. And there it is translated with the word indeed. Indeed, they are all worthless. 
So the contrast is truly remarkable and noteworthy. The idols cannot be counted on for anything. They are worthless and useless for salvation. Behold, they are all worthless. Their works are nothing. Their molded images are wind and confusion. The gods of the nations have nothing worthwhile to offer. They are dead objects, wind and nothing more. But what the Lord is going to do is truly stunning. Behold, here is my servant whom I uphold. He will provide you with everything you need for life and happiness. He will bring justice to the Gentiles. Justice is mentioned three times in these four verses and refers in the first place to the righting of wrongs. But justice is more than just righting of wrongs. It means that the servant will right wrongs by affirming truth and by proclaiming the uniqueness of God. And this is so applicable both for now and for then, isn't it? The peoples of the world worship the idols they create and in steps the servant. Right in the middle of all this confusion and he proclaims truth. He proclaims, I am the way and the truth. No one comes to the Father but through me. He affirms the uniqueness of God. There is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the work of the servant challenges the thought forms and the, and the thinking of the contemporaries of Isaiah and he challenges the patterns of our thinking today. Think about this, brothers and sisters. When people or when a society disregards the Lord as he has revealed himself as the creator, the sustainer, the judge of all the earth, when they set up for themselves substitute gods and idols, if they dethrone God and replace him with whatever else, then we should not be surprised that people will live with the implications of their choices. Poverty, perversion, oppression, misery, shallow thinking about life and its meaning. And you don't have to go very far to see these things before your eyes. Just open the newspaper or a news magazine See, they are worthless. Their deeds amount to nothing. Their images are but wind and confusion. Look at all the idols people have erected. Look at what happens when we make people the object of our devotion or the source of our satisfaction. When we take good things and give them places only God deserves. When we try to find the apex of our life in anything other than the living God, it will ultimately fail. 
because every attempt to find the meaning of life and identity and purpose in anything other than the Lord, it will fail miserably. Well, in sharp contrast to the idols who fail, the servant of the Lord is presented to us as a man on a mission. His work will not fail because he is anointed by the Spirit of God. He will establish justice. Brothers and sisters, we are about a month away from Christmas. Hard to believe, but true. And it is good for us to reflect on these things, isn't it? Why was the baby born in Bethlehem? How did Jesus enter into this world? Do we have the story of Christmas in our Bible so that year after year we might wrap the baby Jesus in the cloths of sentimentalism and commercialism? Obviously not. Jesus came into this world as a servant of the Lord to break through the foolishness of our own idolatry. Behold my servant whom whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. Our Lord and Master humbled himself. He became a servant because he was given a responsibility that extended far beyond the borders of ancient Israel. Yes, this servant chosen by God and anointed by the Holy Spirit, he will bring forth justice to the nations. He comes to this world so that all may enjoy the privileges of the covenant and all may enjoy the riches of redemption. Well, what a comforting and shocking message this must have been for believers who suffered, who were oppressed and abused, and for whom there seemed so little hope. To a people who bled nationalism, the Lord declares deliverance and redemption that will go far beyond their national borders. Judah is not the sole recipient of the Lord's salvation. The servant of the Lord will bring justice to the Gentiles. He will not quit until people from all nations are taken out of the dark dungeons and prisons of corruption and sin and are allowed to live and bathe in the light of salvation. The work of the servant proclaims the Catholicity of the church. And that means the church of God's servant today should think in terms of Catholicity as well. For the Lord does not only bring justice for us in our little corner, but he brings it for the nation's. The unique task of the servant of the Lord is to bring justice, the righting of wrongs, freedom, and a new lease on life. Israel broke covenant, and the people deserved death. 
Yet the Lord in his faithfulness comes to them to redeem them. He gives his servant and he will not only provide relief from social, economic, and political oppression. Because those are only the symptoms of a much deeper problem. The servant of the Lord will bring justice by delivering his people from the oppression of sin. He will accomplish his unique task through his suffering as a substitute for sin. And so the people of God to whom Isaiah speaks must look beyond the exile to the redemption the Lord will bring them through his servant. God delights in him because he will bring forth justice, perfect justice. His kingdom will be built on righteousness and faithfulness and everlasting peace. Beloved, our Lord alone establishes this justice through the work and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so when Christ is baptized by John in the river Jordan, he is anointed by the Spirit who comes down upon him in the form of a dove and the Father proclaims, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, in whom my soul delights. And what takes place at the river Jordan sets in motion the prophecy of Isaiah 42. The Lord Jesus has a heart for the destitute, the sick and the oppressed. And Matthew acknowledges it all to be the fulfillment of prophecy. And that's why he writes in the passage that we read, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. Christ commanded those whom he healed not to make him known. And he said that so that those who had a wrong view of his work would not hinder him from fulfilling his task as the suffering servant. For many had a wrong picture of the Messiah and of what he would come to do. They looked at him as some miracle worker or a political savior. But they did not know him as the one who will be given the kingdom through what he suffered. Who will bring forth justice through payment. And that gospel of salvation and God's justice. That must be proclaimed. And it must be proclaimed according to the scriptures. All nations and people must hear it. True justice is not just deliverance from political or economic or social oppression. So before the gospel of God's justice can be proclaimed universally, those who are sent must learn and learn well what Christ came to do. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, the apostles do not understand who he is. They do not realize Christ will bring justice through satisfaction and payment for sin. And that's why Jesus remains with the apostles for 40 days after his resurrection. 
so that he could instruct them further in these things to teach them that he is the Christ of the Scriptures. And once that has happened, once the Spirit has been poured forth, the apostles are given orders to make Jesus known to all the nations, starting in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And through the work and witness of the apostles, the mission of Christ will be accomplished through the gathering of the church. From all nations under heaven, Christ sees to it that the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And we today belong to those who were far off the islands and the coastlands. Christ's rule of justice is being established among us. Brothers and sisters, we must follow Christ and listen to him. At his baptism, a voice exclaimed, This is my beloved Son in whom my soul delights. Listen to him. And if we do not listen to him, his justice will not be for our redemption, but for our condemnation. He will act faithfully according to the demands of the covenant relationship. Now the text not only speaks of the unique task given to the servant of the Lord, but also of the manner in which it will be accomplished. For how does a servant act? Well, first of all, he acts in dependence on God. Verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the Gentiles. The ministry of the Lord Jesus as a servant of the Lord is performed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is anointed with the Holy Spirit and his ministry will be completely spiritual. The servant of the Lord will fulfill his calling through the power of the Spirit. His preaching will be accompanied by his care for the weak and the needy. He will lift up those who are bowed down. And secondly, the servant not only acts dependent on God, but in keeping with his character as a servant. The servant is humble, he is gentle, and he is faithful. And let's look at each of these for a moment. In the verses 2 through 4, there are a number of negative verbs describing the way the servant works. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed, he will not break. And a smoking flax, he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. Now, if we think of someone coming to deliver and to establish justice, 
our minds might immediately go to the picture of a conquering king. And that was the primary picture and idea the Jews had of the Messiah. They thought that he would be a mighty king that would lead his troops with military power to conquer their foes. With great fanfare, clashing swords and thundering horses, the military king would deliver those held captive by the enemy. But the prophet goes out of his way to show us that that is not how the servant of God will liberate his people. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. You see, you will never find self-promotion or self-aggrandizement or manipulation in the ministry of Christ. He told those burdened by sin, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So without shouting or barking orders, Jesus came quietly and humbly as the Savior for sinners. And even in his death, he did not fight or complain or try to draw attention to himself. And all this underlines the servant of the Lord does not enter the world in pomp or circumstance. He does not enter the community making a lot of noise. Isn't that interesting? People will sometimes complain that the church is not making enough noise or making a big enough statement to this world. But that's not the style of Christ's ministry. He does not startle with bravado or come at them as some motivational speaker who has nailed down the best way of getting people excited about a new product. His messages do not go viral. The ministry of Christ's faithful church must have that same quiet strength. The temptation is to come with a grandiose style in an attempt to attract attention, to come with sensational performances that will draw people in and will wow them. But the servant of the Lord acts in keeping with his character as a servant. For not only is he humble, his demeanor is gentle. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. A bruised reed that's symbolic of someone who has been weakened by exterior pressure and can't bear any more burdens. And a smoking flax is symbolic of someone whose inner resources are at an end, who lacks the strength necessary to continue. While the justice of the servant the justice that the servant brings forth, therefore, embraces bruised reeds and smoking flax, or as some translations have, dimly burning wicks. The oppressed and the weak, 
the damaged and the discarded. Brothers and sisters, the ministry of the servant of the Lord is such a blessing. He's not harsh or abrasive, but compassionate and kind. What others reject and discard, he is able to use. You cannot lean on a bruised reed, and you cannot make music with it. Anyone who has played a clarinet or an oboe knows that you need a good reed to make good music. But the servant is capable of making beautiful music in and through the lives of bruised reeds. Maybe you feel that way, bruised by what others have done to you, trampled and broken. You consider yourself broken and useless. But there's good news. The servant can use bruised reeds. Oppressed and stepped on by sin, we do not have the power within us to walk a path of justice and righteousness. But the Messiah doesn't crush and break the bruised but he comes to heal the downtrodden and the brokenhearted. The servant of the Lord doesn't put out the light of a dimly burning wick. And these images point to a manner in which the servant of the Lord will establish justice, how he will restore the life of those who have no perspective or hope for the future. He will bring meaning to the lives of many through his comforting word of power. His word breaks people out of their misery. Yes, the word of Christ brings people together from all tribes and nations and people into the kingdom of God. The word calls us to repentance and to life in Christ. And it gives a message of hope to the underprivileged, the bruised, and those reeling under the burden of sin. The servant acts in keeping with his character. He's humble, he's gentle, he's faithful. And in verse 3, the Lord tells us that his servant will bring forth justice in truth. No matter how difficult the task, and it will be very difficult, he will not back away from it. In fact, he will not fail or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. And it's interesting that the word fail is the same word that is translated smoking. And the word discouraged is the same one that is translated bruised. People who are bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks or smoking flax, will falter and be discouraged. But the servant will not. He will suffer injustice in fulfilling his mission, but he will not cry out for his own justice. Neither will he be discouraged in his mission or dissuaded from accomplishing it. Well, isn't that a picture 
pure love and amazing grace. Christ, the servant of the Lord, will not be stopped from accomplishing what he came to do. He will not become tired or be crushed by opposition. The Lord Jesus will faithfully fulfill his task until justice is established in all the earth, until the coastlands will wait for his law. As mentioned earlier, three times in these four verses we find justice mentioned. And the threefold repetition emphasizes the certainty of what God's servant will do and needs to do. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. The servant will let the truth be known that the Lord alone is the sovereign creator and the Lord of history. In New Testament language, justice refers to the work of Christ. In the gospel by which he writes what is wrong. Sinners are those brought near to God. It is both an external action by Christ at the cross and an inward experience through faith in him. Well, beloved, always keep in mind that it is Jesus who brings forth this justice and establishes it. Justice is established and brought to us through Christ's redemptive work. So if you want true justice, that you must look to the cross of Christ your Savior. And today the message of God's justice is preached in the church of Christ. And it is done so throughout the farthest extremities of the world. It's not the possession of one people or nationality. The coastlands wait expectantly for his law, for the instruction that comes forth from God's servant. And believers, they will stand shoulder to shoulder with every race and nationality and tribal distinction and language group. Yes, that's the power of Christ's death. That's the reach of his love and his mercy. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Yes, brothers and sisters, you may all say it. Say it with me. The servant of the Lord is my Savior. He's my King. Hallelujah. What a servant. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.